0: You don't become the editor in chief of GQ without being super smart, having great taste, and amazing style. My guest today, Will Welch, has all of those things and then some. He joined me to talk about GQ's October issue that focuses on a lot of the things that are very central to everything I've tried to do with ACL over the years. The concept that they've put together is quality, buying better. Buying less. It was an amazing conversation. It really struck at the core of why I wanted to do these podcasts to have interesting and inspiring conversations with people who I find to be super compelling and I can learn from. Here's our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Will Welch, good to see you. Good to hear you. You, Michael. Uh, Where are you? Are you allowed to disclose your location or is it? Yeah, I'm in the great state of Vermont. Did you read the article in the New York Times about Vermont? Yeah, about all the, about all the when people. All Vermont.
1: Everybody flooding to get their kids into the schools.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was. It seemed like oh, it's this crazy massive influx of people. But then they're like, there's 25 new kids in school. I guess for that little town, it's a big deal. I was just thinking that whole time the the town the guy that run the t- runs the town dump needs like a reality TV show. He seems
1: amazing. <laughs> Vermont. That's actually you. You just made a million dollars, actually. Vermont dump TV show is would be absolutely the dump here. Where then the town where I am is amazing. It's yeah, it's a really it's a, it's a movie what, every time we pull up because they don't pick up your trash. Is that the thing? There's no yeah. local collection. Yeah, there's no local collection. You you go to the dump, and uh, here it's open on Wednesdays and Saturdays, so it's like it's an event. Really? Yeah.
0: See and be seen out there. Absolutely. Is that... Do you get styled out for that situation, or I don't do get do? styled
1: out? But you know, you just don't want to be like you don't want to be too slow. You just want you want to be just right. You know, what's your connection? You don't want to have the... too much stuff. Like, oh really? About... Is that looked down upon? Well, I volume of trash. It's looked down upon inside
0: my head. Yeah. (laughs) You know, we, um, we're just, we're churning through so many Amazon boxes per day. You know, I can barely, I, you know, I basically had to you know run after the garbage man this morning or the recycling guy. And he's like, I saw the garage door open and I figured you weren't coming to say hi. So I waited anyway. It's like a, it's like a whole thing. Um, do you feel like your style has changed? This isn't a formal interview. I mean, thanks for, you know, taking the time to talk to me, we can, we oh, can just on. have a, you
1: know, I'm, I feel like I'm so, I'm so uh I'm just so all in on the return of ACL and with the new, with the new tech, with the new model, with Substack all that stuff. I'm just, I'm bought all the way in, as you know. So um, thank you. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Yeah. I appreciate you taking like, the time. I'm, I'm yeah. sure you have
0: better things to do. I actually um, do not <laughs> wait. So, <laughs> You know, I I only I only reboot ACL around like a global pandemic financial crisis. I mean, those are my moments. I live in, you know, I I live for these these challenging times, I guess. I don't know why we need you during these times. (laughs) Well, thanks. Um, Wait. So do you feel like your style has changed, you know, pandemic wise ever since you've been in Vermont or I mean, what do you think the what's been the influence there in terms of? your evolution because i feel like you 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 know your style has changed
1: yeah yeah i guess it has full stop and then yeah it's definitely changed more during this um we came up here we're actually moving back to brooklyn next week like fully mm-hmm. um, but, but we came up here in march uh you know it was like that that day at the office where it was like everybody put your pencils down you know like at the sat's um and we did that, and we came up here in March figuring we'd be here for two weeks, and it's been six months. Wow. Uh, and so I started up here with two weeks' worth of clothes. Um, and then, you know, now we've been here through through three seasons. So but going back to New York, and, like, first we had to go get summer clothes, like go get – swimsuit and towels and shorts mm-hmm. and t-shirts and all that stuff um and now it's turned to turning back you know it's getting cold again so Wait, is, I mean, it, is it stick season i i only know that from the article in new york times stick season? Like, is, it, is that a thing what is that stick, stick season is like mud season that's that's when um that's after the melt-off like the only not completely beautiful season in this part of the world is mud season stick season How long which, does is, that last for which is when all the snow melts and things are just muddy and brown and nothing has sprouted and it's just like yeah it's the melt off so that's like april you know it's like before spring mm-hmm. springs there's mm-hmm. five seasons here yeah five um, seasons and then yeah, that's like the in between that's the shoulder season right yeah and right now it's like i think we're probably about a week out from peak leaf season so it's going off right right now it's completely psychedelic wow cool yeah so um it's but yeah be- i'm moving back to brooklyn my style has changed yeah just i guess more relaxed you know i haven't i i don't i have one suit here um and it's like a very loose chill suit. I guess I've worn it a couple times just for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and but so yeah, no suits, no dress shirts, no dress shoes. Like I wear sabas every day. <laughs> <See> my sabas, <laughs> nice. Um, and I'm not like wearing sweatpants, but I'm just dressing vi- like very relaxed. It's yeah. been kind of great and oversized. All, yeah. big, all
0: big, everything loose, just flowing. Right. I feel like did the, uh, you know, thinking about the quality issue, which we're going to talk about. Um, but just thinking about your, everyone's relationship with clothes. Yeah. And, and it makes me think, did you, when you go up to Vermont and you have two weeks worth of clothes and you're sort of living out of a suitcase and it's, you know, that's a doable thing in your head. Do you think like, I don't need all this other stuff? I mean, was that an influence? Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, The, yeah, I think that it's, it's interesting. I mean, we we can get into the quality issue thing, but that, that actually started, I sent um, an email to a bunch of the GQ staff from the January fashion shows, just being like, this has to stop. There's just. It was, you know, that was pre COVID. It was really a reaction Mm -hmm. to like climate change and hype and disposability and overproduction. And actually what was happening, what, what, what literally inspired it is I had walked out of a show, um, where I was sitting there and as all the models paraded out, I was just like, don't make any of this not a single stitch of this should be produced. Like it, it isn't distinguishing itself according to anything that matters. Like there's no distinct design vision. The quality looks fine, but not great. Like there's no, this doesn't need to exist. It is not making an argument, a compelling argument for itself. And you know, you're at that moment where at a fashion show, all the samples are parading out and they haven't actually produced all this stuff yet. It's and not too late. Uh, Yeah. I was like, it's not too late. Like if, if everything were right in the world, we could just say, no, like, no, thank you. We're just going to, we're going to all collectively just pass on this collection. Um, and then I went to, a, um, uh, showroom appointment with, with another brand and they were, there was like this huge showroom full of clothes. And then there was like this one rack that was like the sustainable collection. And I think it was like denim that was dyed using runoff dye from, an, from another collection. And it was like six pieces. And I was like, uh, that is this is like insubstantial and ridiculous. And those two things combine to make me think that we can't expect the fashion brands or any global corporations or any brands period to save us. Like they are working in a capitalist model. They're, valuation their stock price if it's a if it's a um publicly traded company all that stuff those are determined by their their year over year and quarter over quarter growth so it's Mm -hmm. not enough just to make a lot of money you have to make more money than you made the quarter before and as long as that is the model which is just capitalism so that is the model they are always going to be producing more so i was just like it, it was a it was a this really like breakthrough slash breakdown moment for me where i was like we can't they can't they can't sustainable collection capsule collection our way to anything useful we as the audience and as the i I think this word is so insulting but as the quote-unquote consumers we have to say enough stop we are not buying this shit anymore and it immediately made me think of the column that that you and I conceived of together and that you had through the early years of, um, uh, I'll
0: give you credit for conceiving of that.
1: No, 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 that was, it was completely, uh, uh, I mean, first of all, it was so rooted in what you've always stood for. Um, and that was a conversation that we had about buying for value and the, the, the like root, the foundational idea of your column was, we you vote with your dollars, and every time you buy something, you're saying, "I want this thing, or this company, or this type of product, um, this category of product to exist in the world." And so, what we tried to do with this issue was say, "Screw the fashion houses, screw the or the or the you know local American brand, whatever, however you conceive of of where you shop. Let's not talk to them. Let's turn around and talk to our audience and say." Raise the bar on what you buy. Demand more. Like you should not spend a single penny unless the quality is so high. This brand is delivering at such an incredible level that you are going to do them the honor of giving them a dollar. And if we can do that, that could do more to transform the the way that like clothing and product and all those things are impacting our environment, and also that. And as I said, the idea was conceived before the pandemic, but the pandemic all only like you know quintupled our resolve. Like this, this matters more than ever. We just don't need all this shit. Yeah. And like I, I, you were, you were really the the like founding father of this idea of like which brands matter, which ones are, which ones should we care about, and if they, if you're not on that list, we're not spending our money with you. Like, forget it. I mean it's the the beauty of that concept is the
0: simplicity right it's it's very straightforward to just where you spend your money is going to influence what exists and what should exist and all these companies because of their quest to be focused on money and and how the you know the it's all about quarterly earnings or whatever sh- delivering shareholder value yep. right this universally accepted concept that is probably bullshit, mm-hmm. right? Like companies that only exist to deliver shareholder value, that to me is the most flawed thing right. on earth. Yeah, And and I understand that there's a lot of factors around that, but, you know, as consumers, we can just say, you know, I'm just not going to buy this stuff yeah. and nothing is more powerful because, and, and nothing would drive change more than people just saying, I'm only going to you know, do what you said. I'm only going to put my money where, things should exist and these people are doing the right
1: doing things the right way and and, and I, I i think this is a particularly powerful message you know in the september issue zach Barron wrote a profile of jaron lanier yeah i have that on my list here of things that t- first thing on my list awesome yeah, which was uh, an amazing story. To, uh, Sorry. Uh, Ten arguments for deleting your social media account right now, which is a very short. I read it in one sitting, 130-page book by a Silicon Valley pioneer named Jaron Lanier, who um, he actually coined the term virtual reality in 1987. He's not a like new theorist guy. He's like an OG Silicon Valley insider, um, but who kind of like refuses to buy into the bullshit and historically, yeah, he, he wrote this book and it's all about how, um, it's part of this culture that we're increasingly understanding for me, reading his book was like, Oh, I can see when I go on social media now, I can see the matrix. I can see how the whole thing works, but to, to put the details of that aside for a second and just focus, like we are. We are finally coming to understand how now more than ever, we are just a data set and we are nothing other than a series of past behavior, online behaviors to be manipulated into the future. Mm -hmm. That's all we are. And Mm so this, you know, we're now several decades into being referred to as consumers. And now we are like data surfs who whose every thought action purchase is being manipulated. And I'm just like, I, I like, I needed some I amidst that framework. I need something to believe in, which is like, oh yeah, ultimately it's my fucking money. And, and I'm not, I'm not going to be manipulated into who I spend it with. I'm not a data surf. I'm not going to be, um, Uh, like FOMO'd and Instagrammed into buying shit that I don't need. Like I, my critical mind is on and my, my hard earned money is mine. And I just thought we could construct this issue that like coming off writing about all these things kind of like happened, separately, timing wise, in terms of the the idea, the, these story ideas being conceived, but it created this kind of sweep where it's like, we profiled Jaron Lanier last year, last issue, who is like the godfather of a lot of these ideas. And now if our community is like working with an understanding of what's happening in terms of like data and behavior manipulation, then we publish the quality issue. And it's just like, no, we still have the power, like, like, we can ultimately decide what companies survive um, and which ones die if we really do as I've been talking about, which is just like raising the bar and doing what you've – I mean, you've been talking about this stuff since the mid-aughts. Yeah, I mean, I think it's – it's that, that
0: piece seems very clear that – Social media piece or the, you know, becoming a the product for these huge companies that control all the data that manipulate you with recommendations and everything else. And that to me is is something that I'm very aware of, too. Um, I Actually, you know maybe last year kind of started thinking about this in a bigger way right and just how you're so manipulated by the algorithm in everything you do and it you know to me i never realized until the pandemic that you stop when there's a disruption in the flow of your daily life and you have to stop and think about why things happened or what you were doing it's it's not even the why it's just the what it's like uh, every day i would buy something why you know right. what was that all about yeah. you know and and a lot of times it's like i need to feel something because yeah. i'm so busy and i'm running around and i never have any time to think or feel anything little,
1: um, there is a little like it's funny there's like a dopamine hit I think in a new way, I mean, this this seems to echo what you're saying. I think in a new way during the pandemic, I have been able to like isolate when I was like hunting for a particular kind of, I don't know if it's actually dopamine, but let's just say it's dopamine. Like, oh, I feel like buying something. I want that little like. that that little ding of pleasure I get from buying it. And then that's separate from the feeling that you get when the package gets dropped off. And sometimes the two things are only loosely correlated. Like I literally just needed to buy something, anything in that moment. And you can like question that. And then you can look at the decisions that you make and what shows up and do you actually care about it? And do you actually wear it or use it depending on what, what it is that you bought? So I do think I've gotten like, and I think the, the influence of, of Jaron Lanier and getting a better understanding of the way, um, uh, all that internet advertising and, and data mining and everything works. Like I'm, I'm kind of getting a map of the landscape in a way mm-hmm. better able to isolate some of my behaviors and make m- more like empowered decisions around them.
0: Yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. And, you know, when, when there's a moment where I feel like I need to buy something, the way I've channeled that is, you know, there's a store in Venice tortoise general store. That's this beautiful little Japanese couple, they own it. Um, And it's like, you know, this great offline, non-digital sort of existence. And I think they're trying to figure out their e-commerce stuff, but I would always like buy something from them or, you know, like I I would just use that urge to then support some, you know, there's like this little kid's store in Santa Monica that I love that I don't want to go out of business, Yeah, you know? And so I totally buy something from them. And it's like, at least I'm serving a bigger purpose, you know, while also serving myself to some degree.
1: Yep. No, same, same for me. I've been buying stuff from um Renee Holguin at RTH in and in, in LA, Sid Mashburn, you know, the usual suspects. Yeah. Um, Jan Jan Vanish and in, in Antwerp and just like um thinking it you know, it's not like a philanthropy, but it's just being super intentional, you know. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, they only be 130 bucks or whatever on a pair of RTH pants. That's not going to like make or break Renee's pandemic, but it's 130 bucks channeled in the right direction according yeah, exactly. to, to this, I think, very real structure that we've outlined, you know? Yeah. You know, I,
0: so one of the things I was thinking about is because we have a three-year-old, we we read, I read her a lot of children's books and the message in the messaging in a lot of these children's books is so simple and you know today we're reading a book about our feelings and it's interesting to just think about because I never think about my feelings yeah my feelings are just responsive to anything that's happening like if I'm mad if I'm you know and 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 that's what yeah, the right. reactions yeah yeah, Because I think we need to, as to function at a high level, you need to start to automate things, you know, and that's why habits form, right? right. And have habits push you into a place where you're just doing things. So you don't have to think about it. And I'm, you know, I had the bad habit of buying things when I didn't really need them, because I'm not actually acknowledging my feelings, right? Or what I'm wh- what I'm going through, or what my mind is doing, you know, now it's like, how about i go for a walk and i think <laughs> about my feelings and then i come back and i don't need any of that stuff yeah and it's not yeah. totally no way a random doesn't th- <laughs> doesn't
1: show up three days later
0: that you don't have a place for yeah exactly i mean that's the thing i don't have a place for anything you know at this point and that's even all of the other drivers of this you know the biggest thing is that I just, I don't want more stuff. I don't, you know, I don't need anything else.
1: Yeah. I mean, the house in Vermont that we are in, we do not own. Um, and so when we leave here to go back to Brooklyn this week, this coming weekend, we are like wedging back into a very small Brooklyn apartment. And um, yeah, luckily I've, you very, guys, uh, my acquisitions have been, pretty damn low for six months or whatever it's been. So what about,
0: what about the concept of people? And we talked about this because of, you know, my other job, um, just like getting sent stuff, you know, and just when I go through my closet, I'm like a lot of the stuff I have is stuff that was given to me that I really don't want, you know, it's like a bad system.
1: There was a moment, um, here where, um, I had just said, I'm not receiving any, anything from any brands during all this, um, because I don't want it and I don't need it. And I don't think anyway, that, that, that was just what I had determined. And then there were, um, um, all of this is kind of like going through my assistant, you know, they were like, if somebody is being really pushy, let me know. Cause I'm not trying to like offend any, you know, brand that we have a longstanding relationship with, but I just don't think it's appropriate with everything that's going on to be like doing a bunch of promotional mailings right now. Mm -hmm. And so there was one brand that I won't name that was being really pushy with my assistant. And, um, I ultimately said, okay, fine, give them the address. And for this one mailing only, And what came was like some breakfast goods to like watch a fashion show. And it was in this big wood box and it was overnighted. And I was just like opened it and I just had my head in my hands. Like this is why the earth is going to turn into a ball of ash and disappear into a black hole. Like we aren't learning any, are we not learning? I have been Look, I'm not trying to sound um, um, virtuous or something, but I have been really trying to learn what I can from this time because there's a lot of death, there's a lot of sickness, there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of depression. Um, I think a lot of us have ha- have known people who have died as a result of this, either directly from COVID itself or through secondary, you know, depression. All, there has been a so many negatives to come from this time. I mean, two hundred thousand dead. We, we could we could talk for the full time just about that. Yeah, um, and if we don't, but at the same time, what's happening is something that has either never happened before or hasn't happened since 1918 when the world was a very different place. And so I feel strongly that the only thing that can counteract, can counterbalance some of the the negatives that have come from this is if we learn – a whole lot of positives from it and yeah. use the time to like, you know, kind of do some fearless accounting about the way we're living our lives, the way we're running our businesses, the way our politics and our economies are working. And maybe we can learn something, you know, the, um, the, there were all those hilarious memes about like the earth is healing itself and rewilding and all that stuff. But it's like, we, the life did stop in a way that you could never manufacture. Um, and so are we learning anything from this, or are we just putting our head down and saying, oh, I can't wait for things to get, quote unquote, back to normal? And yeah. overnighting this heavy <laughs> box of ridiculousness was, for me, an expression of a person or a business who was just like, "I'm, we are closed off to any lessons from this time. And I just found that to be really ignorant and infuriating. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's actually, unfortunately
0: a semi-common theme in all of this is that if it's about the pandemic or if it's about the, you know, social issues that are happening, race issues in America, a lot of these people that you would expect to be the most evolved, the most conscious of what's happening in the universe and climate change, all of this stuff, you know, these, these communications people, like a lot of the people just like in marketing and businesses, they just don't either they're too busy or too lazy or I don't know, but they, they don't, they they just won't recognize a lot of this stuff. And they, they, a lot of times don't exhibit, I think the restraint and the understanding of what's happening in the world, you know, just because you're at your house and you're working and it, and you can't go to a restaurant doesn't mean there aren't massive lines at food banks and like tons of people unemployed and like tons of people pissed off about, you know, what's happening in, in, in America, in terms of race, right, and and I think like it's it's crazy to me that people don't understand that, and you know, just because I'm at home doesn't mean these things aren't real and they're not happening, you know, and people's totally. lives aren't impacted.
1: And nor nor do I believe that like marketing or anything else. There's only one way to do it, you know. It's I not think like, we, you oh, know, we've been working differently because. Like I make a magazine and we're in the creative field. So we're being creative. It's like, no, everybody has to be working differently. And yeah, that's, that should be so obvious. I think a lot of, a lot of companies and you see
0: brands that do things their own way that become wildly successful, right? And they're not tied to the system in a way that they just need you know, they stand out because they're they have the guts to do it the way they want to do it. Yeah. And a lot of times like to go back to like the made in USA stuff that I really like, I like it because it's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. When everyone left, these people said,
1: no, I'm not leaving. Like right. we're do we're staying. Yeah. Right. To me like that we have we have values that insist on staying and that that aren't and, and our values aren't invested in the efficiencies and the economies of scale and so on and this and that does that do otherwise make leaving a no-brainer. And and what you're saying as Michael Williams is as those companies values match up with my values and then you yeah. sp- and then you know you spend your money accordingly. I mean it's not just here though too it's like you know
0: there's designers everywhere. There's all these, all these, all these intricate types of craft exist everywhere. And in Sweden, in Nigeria, in, you know, they're, they're leaving those places too. It's all consolidating into one place. And, you know, the saddest thing for me is like, not to like make this all doom and gloom. And I think there's actually, there's a lot of silver linings. And I think we should talk about that. Um, But when I travel and everything's exactly the same and I know every brand and I, every coffee shop, like it, like Joe and the juice or whatever, it's like not to pick on them, but like when you go to a very far away place to see the exact same stuff, that's just the saddest thing to me. Yeah. You know? I had,
1: um, I had like a de- <laughs> <laughs> we'll just stick with the, the, the depressing stuff. I just was like, we <laughs> got really out one time in London walking around, I was like, uh, oh, this it's like, it's either global brands that have all the same stuff, or there was a bunch of stuff at that time. This was a few years ago on the East end of London. That really felt like, um, and this was like a, a, a particular moment where it really felt like knockoff Brooklyn like you know, cocktail bars—it just felt yeah. like all the same, and I was just—I mm-hmm. uh, just wasn't having having an experience that felt truly different from one that I could have in New York City or um, or so many other places. And that was like, yeah, it was just depressing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it,
0: I've I've had that same thought. You know, I saw the Ace Hotel close by the way in East London. Oh, did it really? Yeah, I don't, I don't even know the details of it. I just saw it got closed, which is interesting.
1: Yeah, last time I was in that place, it was, I don't remember what it was, some event or some party there, and it was packed, rammed. People were wasted. It was doing all the Ace Hotel things. So. It sounds right. Yeah. So
0: what would you say would be a silver lining for you out of this? Not to put you on the spot, but.
1: Oh, sure. Um well, I am incredibly a couple things. The the first one I'll say is like very much a, a GQ thing. I think that when basically what happened was once we all went home, um, we had to figure out how to make the June issue of GQ. That was the first one made entirely in mm-hmm. quarantine. And we had to figure out how to make it with with all the conditions by which we usually make a magazine changed. So it felt a little bit until we figured it out anyway, like making an issue with your feet tied together and your hands tied behind your back. Mm -hmm. And I remember telling the team, I was like, if we can figure out how to do this successfully and have the issue that comes out feel like, only we could have made it, and only during these circumstances. That means that we have, like, truly metabolized and embodied the GQ project all the way down to our core. Because if all the conditions by which you make something have changed, but the expression itself, itself in some essential way still feels like um, an expression of, like, the core values that we represent, then that mm-hmm. just means that you really – you really know what you're doing and you mean it. And um, the the June issue of GQ was made like in very in a way that we never would have made anything if it weren't for these conditions. And it just felt like only we would have made it. So that was a very proud moment for us. Yeah, that's cool. I think looking,
0: looking at June onward, it feels to me that you guys seem energized in what you're doing and with purpose. And the, and I feel like the magazine is different June onward. Um, and and it, it just the perspective on it it seems a little bit bolder right more confident in not that you weren't before yeah i, I think it, it just feels like a true true expression of what you guys are really what you guys really care about yeah and i i can see it and i'm fairly close to a lot of the guys and, and a lot of the people there yeah. um so i think it's interesting though but it to me it's like gq's was became more concentrated, right? Be, because of this, which yeah. is
1: counterintuitive, right? Yeah, it is. But I'm like, I'm, I'm, I agree with you. But I'm also just like get goosebumps hearing you say it because I like I, I care what you think. and And you know, the difference. And so to not just feel that it's happening that way, but for you to have seen it is just really encouraging. And I do think like, that, you know, no matter what happens with the conditions and circumstances by which we like do our thing um, in the coming year and a half or whatever i do think we have like more confidence than ever and are bolder than ever in the way we're doing things um so that was like a pure gq silver lining a broader like the culture of work and then what it means for me personally i'm really excited about like the way that the pandemic just like kicked the training wheels off, or accelerated the whole rem- remote work possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am thinking about all the ways, both as um, the leader of a staff and as uh, an employee myself, that we can incorporate remote work into what we do and, and what it could mean for all of our like quality of life and so on. And so. I'm not like rushing to get back to the office. I'm excited to really break open the possibilities of like what it could mean to work as a team and how we can leverage the technology and, um, you know, how like some, you know, very modest journalism salaries could go farther for people in this environment. And so many, there are just so many things that I think we, um, it just where's, was such an accelerant. Where's the
0: decision making for that, though? I mean, is that like you you prove to the leadership of the company, right, that this can happen and you guys are producing uh, as good product, right, or better quality yeah. product, you know, with, with remote work deployed completely? And then they say, "Will you make a decision or... I mean I feel like part of it there there has to be some degree of if there's things happening in New York or in Paris or wherever you know to be successful to some degree like people have to be there right to see that stuff um I mean I think it's it's a fine line right between I'm not saying you guys can't remote work uh, I'm I'm just saying like I wonder like is that something that
1: truly could happen right An incredible, I have found that an incredible flattener of the great hierarchies in life is just a giant question mark looming in the distance. So there's this very funny thing where like, you know, yeah, I work for a corporation. There are clear, like any good corporation, there are some clear hierarchies in place. But when nobody knows what the fuck is going on, like nobody can flex their like, their yeah. spot in the hierarchy and that, you know, I have a particular place in the hierarchy that goes for me, that goes for people below me, that goes for people above me and so on. And it's just really interesting to see how, who I, I it's really also interesting to see what personalities are able to cope with the, the, the great unknown of it all. Um, mm-hmm. and who is like deeply, deeply uncomfortable by those big question marks looming in the yeah. future. And I'm not, um, saying one is better than the other. I'm really not, but it just like, there's, there's so many different, like, um, you know, the, the tires of our personality types are being kicked in so many new ways by all this stuff. Um, and I think it's really fascinating. I am somebody who is like deeply, uh, deeply comfortable and actually gets a thrill from operating according to unknowns. And I always find that like, um, Because of that, flat, you know, hierarchical flattening effect that that like the fact that, you know, there could we could be dealing with this for anywhere from six months to two and a half years or something like that um, as like a direct threat and and the the possibilities of the ongoing yo-yo effect and and all of that. Um, For me, it just means, well, there's like a greater element of choose your own adventure than, I you know, we've I've been working uh, At Condon Ass, for instance, since 2007, and I've never felt anything like this. So, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think my personal perspective
0: is that we're not, there's not going to be the magic bullet vaccine moment where it's like the war is over. Yeah. Right. Where it's like, Everyone, everyone, then says, "Okay, like on Monday, we're all going to be back in the office." Yeah, like to so me, this I is going to
1: be, be beamed yeah. into us remotely. You know, yeah, exactly. Over Zoom, <laughs> <laughs> Re-
0: remove the plug um, yeah. from Zoom, but it's going to be this protracted, played out thing where maybe things will progressively be normalize, and you know, and that alone, I think, is just going to force the hand of like no one's going to be able to say all right, everyone's back to work in the office and let's get back to normal, you know? So I, I think like the normal is just not going to be normal when we get to it. For me personally, I think one of the issues with New York was people, people in New York that were kind of their suffering or enjoying it, however they want to frame yeah. that in their heads.
1: Enjoying the suffering. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Or justifying the suffering. Yeah. Um always kind of made me feel strange about not living in new york yeah. and there was like a lot of pressure to be in new york yeah. and now i don't have any pressure to be in new york and i can kind of show everyone like i don't need to yeah. you know i can do this w- without having to you know be there not that i don't like being there it's
1: just yeah no there's like a um there is a um martyr like a martyr complex in new york and it's like, what, you're not a martyr with us? You're not like a glutton for this very peculiar kind of punishment. Oh, you're just gonna go out there where everything's easy. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. you're that kind of person. I get it. But yeah. it ain't easy in LA, man. The numbers have been really bad. The 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 fire apocalypse is on, like, you know.
0: Yeah, we so we moved in 2016 and we live in one of the canyons and we evacuated three out of five years. Unbelievable from fires unbelievable yeah it's like now we're like conditioned to be afraid of helicopters right Like you hear helicopters and you think like is there a fire you know it's crazy you know and it's it's not like we haven't been in it's not like we're in sonoma county and there's like we had to jump in our pool to avoid you know fire sweeping through but it's still like just the idea that it could happen in the middle of the night. Like yeah, One of my friends called me and was like, do you know what's going on? Sorry. I don't mean to over talk you there, but he's like, do you know what's going on? I'm like, there's a huge fire. I just want to make sure. And I'm, I got that as like a voicemail. And I'm like, why is this guy calling me at three in the morning? And then I'm like, oh shit, there's a fire. We need to leave. Wow. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's, but I'm not saying like LA is like its own beast. And Did you get, did you
1: get that as a voicemail, like a, an old fashioned voicemail?
0: Well, cause I think my phone was on do not disturb. Right. What I learned in that is like, you have to add all the people that kind of your friends that live near you, that your neighbor to the, fire you know, box. yeah, exactly. To the favorites so they can get through. But yeah, I got that as like a weird and, and it's funny. Cause I sent them like a, a, like a restaurant gift card after that. And was like, you know, true friends will call when there's a fire, <laughs> not just to <a, laughs> whatever. And then true um,
1: get put on the, the, you can, Plow through the do not disturb list. Yeah, exactly. Okay, um, as, as an LA person, do you use the? um I I have, I guess, uh, really starting in the pandemic, I've gotten really into. While I'm driving, I will send people um, the textable voice memos, mm-hmm. and I'm like, this is just one more reason. I don't know. I personally have had no voicemail old school voicemail on my cell phone for like six or seven years or something, but it's like the, anyway, the textable voice memo, what do you, those Those are like, yeah, voice memo way to communicate. Yeah. Those
0: are great people. People, I think now it's easier because we're so used to like all my meetings now are mostly video meetings and it's that sort of barrier has been thrown down to it's not just the conference call anymore. So I think like we're a little bit more intimate with our some of our messaging and technology at this point. And that's like pretty accepted. Yeah, I, I've done that a lot. You know, it depends on like what kind of car situation you have. Like some of them are really good about doing the voice to text and some of them aren't right. Um, but those, yeah, those, I use those voice memos quite a bit and, and people, I always say like, I'm sure you find this a little strange, but it's going to be the easiest way for me not to have to call you. Um, and you know, I, if you hate like the blind phone call too, that might be, I don't mind it. I don't mind if people call me. Yeah. Yeah. Out of the blue. Yeah. Just, you know, we don't have to schedule the phone call. I right. don't like
1: scheduling phone calls. Right, right, right. You know. So if, if you and I haven't talked in two and a half months, I don't have to text you before I call you. No, just call me. All right. You know.
0: Um, so let's talk about just one more thing before we, you know, we we don't want to. I don't want to take up too much too much of your time. But um, how did how, so let's just? I want to talk about the fifty brands that you included. Yeah. Uh, in the because that feature is really amazing, and if you haven't seen it, it's the in the October issue. The quality issue.
1: Yeah. It's the quality list, which is like quality, a page yeah. feature or, you know, it's online on GQ.com within the quality issue. Yeah. And it's interesting. So the staff is,
0: you're in there. There's some staff modeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did it. The our first. Was that because it was hard to do photo shoots or because it was fun? To, like, what was the thought process there?
1: Uh, both. It was our first shoot. Um, actually, it happened. Um two indoor outdoor studios next to each other we were doing the jonathan majors cover shoot with shaniqua jarvis and Mobilogy styling and warm Mm -hmm. with like big outdoor space um because this was our first shoot i was gonna say after but during the pandemic where there was like protocol in place new york's numbers were in a good enough place we were finally understood how the you know, how the virus is transmitted and could like create a protocol that felt satisfactory. So, um, uh, yeah, we just shot, well, the, I guess the re- the real reason we did it is because this list was like endlessly argued over among all the members of staff who really care about fashion and style, which is a bunch of us. And then we thought like, you know, it's a really powerful thing to practice what you preach. So let's do a shoot where we're wearing, you know, wh- whichever. Brand we most like we we rep the hardest for you like wear Mm -hmm. it head to toe and the Mm -hmm. quality list which is like you know the fifty brands that we think cross cross this very high bar that we've established for who deserves you know our our money or our attention. So how did how did one of the criticism the one
0: bit of criticism I've seen about the list yeah. was that some of the, like there's luxury brands like Dolce and Gabbana, not to pick on them, but just yeah, to yeah. call them out. Yeah. Like how, how does that, like, what's the thought process there? I mean, I have thoughts on that too, but w- like what's the selection thought process?
1: Yeah. So uh, this whole framework is absolutely mint, And I think is in a really strong forceful way like an act of sustainability but that doesn't mean that there is like that all of the brands on the list are sustainable it just means if if we do all the things that you have been and i have been talking about over the course of the whole podcast which is like buy better buy less only buy stuff that you believe in and want to see in the world um that that is a is actually the greatest path for true sustainability, and so not every brand or fashion house on the list is a like sustainable brand, but we were really clear that. So basically, there are several um, measures of quality that we establish, mm-hmm. and one of them is design vision. One of them is craftsmanship, tailoring. Um, uh brand ethos so you know there are all these different ways to measure because kind of what we're saying is like one of the strongest um elements of a of a, of a brand kind of like crossing this high bar is singularity of de- design vision so let's mm-hmm. say they've never like focused on sustainability and in, in, or like green production in any real way but there is a design vision like and if you want that thing, you can only get it from going to that person. Mm-hmm. Like that is a really strong element of mm-hmm. um, of of how we uh, defined quality. You know. So I think that in luxury brands is
0: very easily overlooked because there's so much marketing and, and I think people become sort of maybe overlook some of the aspects of a brand and at the product label by letting the brand be loom too large for them. Yeah. Like Dolce is an example. And the reason I actually reference that is because one of my first jobs ever was working for Dolce, like in the DNG like press office. Yeah. And you know, to me, it was like not a brand that I probably intrinsically would have been drawn to, but you can't help but to appreciate what goes into those clothes when you see them and you hold them. And you, you know, I think that's part of the thing where people don't realize they just hear Dolce & Gabbana and they think a runway show and a fragrance campaign. And that's, you know, it's, they don't really understand that they're like, these two guys have had this vision for so long and the brand became, you know, so big, I think it, it maybe takes away from people understanding some aspects of what it is.
1: Yeah. And for, for Dolce & Gabbana to just continue with your example, we very, we very specifically focused on the suiting and the way that, that, Taylor, that's a the Dolce and Gabbana like the trademark Dolce and Gabbana silhouette is very specific and very strong. And basically, if that's what you want, you're not going to do any better than getting it from them. Yeah, yeah. And from a like ready to wear suit versus like a custom. Yeah. You no. Know? Um, and and you know, like Virgil and Louis Vuitton are on there. I understand that that could be controversial, but I think he does something very specific. Um, and if that. If that if if what he's doing is what checks all those boxes for you and, and and what really matters and you're not like buying it to to put it on the gram once and then throw it in the back of the closet or whatever the case may be, then you know, there's a case to be made for that. And um, also what he's represented over the last 10 years um, is very controversial in this moment, but I think interesting and compelling from where we sit. Mm-hmm. And then there are also a bunch of um, really small brands that not many of our readers will have ever heard of and then there's brands like Patagonia and Levi's that stand for something more accessible but, but um, super iconic and mm-hmm. also have um, uh, values that we can recognize and stand behind. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think it's, I think the, I think the list is really interesting and there's, you know, I see a lot of the personalities at GQ in the list, which is nice. Um, And to me, that makes it more real, right? When you know, like these things come from a place of, you know, to what you're saying about, you know, if Mobile modeling something, it's because it's the brand he really wanted to, wanted to make sure was included. And exactly. Um, You know, my last, the only other thing I want to talk to you about, which I don't want to make this too big of a topic, but it's interesting. I talked to Knox Robinson for the first time, uh, yeah. not too long ago from the, and it made me think about the fader. Yeah. And all of the guys that came, all the, you know, interesting talent that came out of the the fader. And to, I had a personal, I have a sort of connection with it because Matthew Schnipper was the first person to ever write about ACL, like in print. Uh-huh. And And it was, and I just remember that. And I've sort of always had this, you know, feeling about all the talent that came out of the fader. What do you think was, how did that happen?
1: Um, it's interesting that you that you asked that question because I've been thinking about it a lot because Choma Nadi who was a contemporary of um, Mine and Mobolaji's Mobolaji is the fashion director of GQ and 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 GQ style and he and I met when we were both working at the Fader and Choma was the fashion editor at the Fader at the time. So Mabalaji did all the styling and she did all the like storytelling. Um, and now she was just announced as the new editor of Vogue.com. So the the Fader diaspora continues to, to rise and break through. Um, I think, well, there's a couple of things. First of all, what that magazine was doing on its most basic level, which was breaking down, um, it was the first magazine that it was a, you know, downtown independent music magazine that I think represented, um, was the first like media outlet or institution magazine, whatever you want to call it, that reflected in its pages, a new way of listening to music or experience more broadly than that experience and culture that was about to take over. And the fader was built that way from the mm-hmm. beginning. And that meant it wasn't a hip hop magazine or a jazz magazine or a rock magazine. It wasn't a black people magazine. It wasn't a white people magazine. It was a, which is the way music magazines were basically set up at that point. Right. Complete. I mean, not
0: to generalize,
1: but. No, you had blender and spin and you had the source and double XL and vibe. Um, and that's that was the way it was you were one or the other it was like radio stations basically and the radio stations the same way yeah. yeah and but this whole generation was like already had had already happened that grew up like me listening to all of the above and being interested in all of the above and caring about magazine covers and who got written about it was just a different way uh, like a, a modern way to um both participate in or to write about in the case of the magazine culture and the fader did that so part of the reason i think there was so much talent there is because that attracted people who were like already ahead of that curve Mm -hmm. it was Mm -hmm. like you know i wasn't going to go work at blender like i just that 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 was like completely un- uninteresting to me you know i wanted yeah. to go work at this place where my all of my interests could come pouring out and then there was also a real um uh and you know at the time so reductive to be thought of well you're a white person so you listen to white music like or you're a white person and all you care about is black music and that's your own like peculiar thing. Like, I don't know. We were so far past that. So I think it attracted yeah. interesting people. And then the way that business was built and um, the fader is owned by uh, Rob Stone and John Cohen, and they have a um, uh, marketing company called Cornerstone marketing agency called cornerstone and the fader was this independent magazine that they really allowed to be independent from the marketing concerns and marketing clients of cornerstone that worked almost as like a business card um like we're not just any marketing agency we're the one that owns like the coolest magazine in existence so don't wouldn't you trust us with your money and it was cool because by allowing us to be editorially free they made that strong instead of doing the cheap easy thing which is forcing the paying clients into the editorial coverage of the magazine yeah totally and diluting it
0: yeah you you know the interesting thing to me with you saying this about fader and it makes me think about gq it's i think it's hard for people to understand sometimes the purpose of a magazine Mm -hmm. and i think as a title can exist for a certain amount of time, and GQ is a good example of this, I think people maybe are attached to what an old idea for the magazine was, right? right? And people look at Fader and they see it's hard for them to, them to totally glean what the magazine's about when you have, a, you know, you could say right here in 15 seconds exactly what the mission is, right? And, and I think if you stopped a lot of people, even if you've worked around these things, it's hard to understand, like, what's the mission of GQ? Right, right, and especially in the moment of like general interest, or to use that term, right, Uh, or maybe the moment is post general interest. It
1: is definitely firmly post general. Yeah, which is how I've been operating completely. Yeah,
0: and which I think is good, and I think that's why you're in the seat that you're in. Uh, You know, that's part of it. But I think it's hard for people to say or to understand where GQ what role GQ plays now versus the general interest role, which I think was easy for people to say that, you know, to see that in the magazine.
1: Yeah. It's a big question, I guess. No, no. I I mean that, that question is at the heart of what I set out to do when I became the editor in chief on January 2nd, 2019 was like, take it from being um, a, general interest magazine at a moment where i thought the power of general interest was completely gone like the internet mm-hmm. does not the, uh, outside i, mean, of, I like, mean the world the
0: world is there's no such thing as general interest in the universe the way the way we get media now
1: the right? the, the only things that you could it's interesting like what's general interest now is like a platform which doesn't itself which doesn't create content itself, right? Like we all, there was a time where we all read the big mainstream things. Now we're all on Instagram or Substack or whatever the case may be, but then it's all subcultures of content on there. Mm-hmm. So I really felt like this, this era of Condé you know, there was an era where Condé Nast magazines ruled the earth. They had all gone from, like GQ had gone from being a fashion magazine that was really a niche thing for, like, you imagine in the 60s and 70s, men who really cared about cutting edge fashion, that's a niche concern. Mm-hmm. And then through the 80s, 90s and aughts, um, it had become this big general interest title, like huge fat magazine, tons of stories covering everything from pop culture, politics. Sure, there were fashion pages. But there was so much else in there and there was nothing that the American man cared about that GQ didn't touch. Can yeah. you imagine now like me trying to tell you that GQ is for all American men? Yeah, there's, it's, there's, that's a non-starter, right? Like, I, you know, if, if I were if, if you were considering advertising and continuously, you know, ACL, am I going to buy a page in GQ? And I was like, you should buy a page in GQ because GQ speaks to all American men. I mean, look at the environment that we're in. Yeah. So what I did is I was like, we just want to go back to doing, you know, so much a part of what GQ has always stood for is, yes, the flagship of men's fashion in America, but especially with like a progressive kind of cutting edge um, tinge to it or perspective, mm-hmm. and so we really sought to reclaim that and then the other thing that i think is so fundamental to good magazines is just they're an active community right mm-hmm. so you essentially you have a staff of cool people which is part of why we were photographed for the october quality issue like show the cool staff like mm-hmm. we have all these cool contributors you know writers and photographers and um uh, stylists and a whole mix of people and so you kind of create a community out of those people and then you can now use social media to let your audience like you know they know who Noah Johnson and Sam Hine and Rachel Tashtian are and Mobalaji and Ryan McGinley and you know mm-hmm. all these different people and then it becomes like oh that's a club that's a club I want to join mm-hmm. you know um mm-hmm and then hopefully they're subscribing. And then now we launch the GQ shop. So they're going on and part of, you know, it, it's 2020. If you want to express that there's a club that you want to join, the first thing you do is you buy a t-shirt, you know? So now we've made that possible. So, um, yeah, just trying to like take a brand that is like GQ stands for what it's always stood for, but Um, how it stands for that has to evolve with the context and with the times. So that's what we've been
0: up to. I just want to continue to see you guys do what you think is right. And, you know, let, let those decisions, you know, let the things that truly inspire like the cool club of interesting people that you and smart minds that you you've got working with you and continue to do the things that, feel maybe outside and but feel true to what you want to do right to me it's like that's the biggest thing it's like i don't want to i don't want to feel manipulated by you know the the universe when like everything i do is manipulated by the universe right or by algorithms or whatever like i want you guys to tell me like what you feel like is cool and and like i want that human sort of curation or whatever you know to me like
1: that's the powerful stuff you know And I mean, it's it's the it's the same for ACL, right? It was always you and your interest driving it. And that's why people like me cared about it, you know, because it was like uh, there's authority there, not because it's a brand that's 60 years old, but because it like comes from your heart and your gut. And uh, we know that you care. So we care through you. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, 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 it's been fun to do and, Mm -hmm. uh, and
0: it works when I care. You know, I think that there was a moment in fashion where I just couldn't, I don't know, maybe that's why I only thrive during the dark moments, but it, it didn't, it seemed like so frivolous, you know, that I didn't, I had a hard time conveying, I think I'm bad at bull, I'm a good bullshitter, but I'm bad at bullshitting through, through that channel. Yeah. And, um,
1: no, it was dormant through a period where you didn't really feel like you had anything to say.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just, I stepped back. It was, it was, that was actually good for me. You know, the, the one thing I took out of your editor's letter that I will say just on a closing note, um, you mentioned getting fits off for Instagram, right? Like as like a big motivator. And, you know, I think that was actually like something very powerful that a lot of people maybe didn't want to acknowledge just that how much we have, just sort of become lazy and just been like, I'm going to, my whole existence is just going to be for this square photo and that's it. You know? And I think that you got, you just even saying that I think is a pretty big thing because I think it's, it was, I don't think hard for you to acknowledge, but I think that it's an impactful thing to hear from a voice like yours. And, and I hope, you
1: know, I hope people wake up to that. Yeah. I think the um, increasingly, we're all increasingly aware of the like <laughs> energetic deadness of that as like a pursuit, you know, and th- there's like there's a real ho- hollowness. There will forever be a hollow. if all you're getting from something is likes and um, surface affirmation, that is a hollow pursuit. And um, we shouldn't be dumping resources into hollow pursuits because yeah. there's too much at stake right now, you know? Yeah, it's and, true. And um one thing I wanted to say quickly about that relates to the times when you felt really inspired to invest in ACL and times where it was a little bit more dormant is I think partially you've been, and and this is because I think you're, even if it was happening on like an instinctual gut level, you're a very like modern forward thinking person is you were all, it was also dormant at a time where there wasn't an obvious platform for it to thrive. Yeah. You were blogging your face off when blogging was a very powerful platform and a really sturdy place to stand and be heard. And at a a time where there was a, um, we were in like a between moment for essentially like, um, you know, like an independent minded publisher, like, or or a one man publisher, Mm -hmm. there was like a dead period for that, those kinds of voices. And in fact, it was only, it was really happening just through Instagram and, and Twitter, which you can't, do it, you can't use in the same way because they, they were never intended for that. And then when this Substack thing came into existence, um, I think that's related to like what brought you back is like, oh, you had a platform that actually aligned with the types of stories that you're interested in telling in addition yeah. to what was happening in terms of like themes that you like to talk about.
0: You know, when at, at a certain point, I realized that I wasn't in control of what I was doing because all the traffic was being controlled by social media. Yeah. And, and I didn't either, didn't have an answer, couldn't cope with it, couldn't, didn't want to play the game that it required. And I think that, and to your, you know, I think what you're saying is true and that was a big part of it. And I just felt like, everyone's behavior got changed because of social media and and I, I don't want to damn social media, whatever. I, you know, I use it and enjoy it yeah. as much as anyone else. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think you know, when everything changed, I just was like, look, I, I don't want to play this game the way that the, the rules have changed and I don't want to play anymore. And I kind of took my ball and went home. Yeah. And then when when I realized the intimacy of Substack and just doing a newsletter and Substack, you know, it's venture backed. I'm sure there's like, it's, it's probably got as questionable of a future as anything else. Right. But I knew with blogging and I know it with newsletters that the ground can move under your feet, whether you like it or not. And sometimes it happens and sometimes it happens and, and you're just going to, you you know, you're not always in control. And to me, that was a scary thing where I don't want to invest my career into something that an algorithm can erode. And then I'm, you know, I have to then move because of them. So it's an interesting, I think the newsletter bit is encouraging for just for independent voices. Right. And not just for me, but like for all these people. Yeah. It's been
1: incredible. And, and I hope that, um, I I just I just hope that it continues to serve those independent voices and and that the the money doesn't move through it in a way that that becomes problematic. I mean, one thing that like it's 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 probably boring, but but I'll just say quickly, like an absolutely like huge part of my job that wasn't hasn't traditionally been there for like a content ass editor in chief is we're just constantly thinking about how GQ is expressed across all these different platforms that have all these different rules that revenue moves through in totally different ways. And we also have to make sure because um, you know, throughout your time doing, doing ACL, you also had like essentially a day job like GQ is GQ's day job. So we have to be diversified across all those platforms, because when they do, when the, when the way the money moves and the audience moves does inevitably change, we have to like adjust all of our dials accordingly. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like a not, I mean, maybe to, to you, it's obvious, but to most people, you know, they think about like, who are you going to put on the next cover or whatever, which I love thinking about that as well. But what I actually spend so much time working on is who are we and where are we and how are we across all these platforms? Yeah, How are we moving audience and money through it? And uh, And and, that's been a uh, learning experience, which has been so fun because I've made a lot of magazine issues at this point in my career. (laughs) So it's a good challenge for you, right?
0: Yeah. yeah, And I, you know, that's interesting because, you know, there's a lot more to it than just, and that's, I think a lot of criticism that people can, can put towards things is, not always seeing the whole picture of what something is and say like, why can't this be better? Well, it's like, or why can't this be different? Or why can't this suit my needs or my, what I'm interested in when there's a million factors at play into what goes into something. And it's, it's not always as straightforward as, you know, everyone thinks it is.
1: Totally. I I hear that kind of stuff all the time. And I mostly just say, um, wow, that's really useful feedback. We will try to give you the one thing that you really love on one of our 18 platforms in the way that you want it. Thank you. And then, you know, you go back to trying to balance all the plates. I think it's like the subscription,
0: the rise of subscription and in from Netflix, Substack, GQ, however, New York Times, however you want to look at that. I think that people now are very much understanding that there's, it's first of all, better to pay for stuff that really hits for you. Right. And you really believe in than to be, you know, part, be the product. Right. And there's a really nice relationship there. And I think people are starting to understand that my, my yearly content, content, which is a terrible word. And my, my, my budget for subscriptions for media through the year isn't like, you know, I think the perception of that is evolving to the point where people aren't like, "Why well, pay seven bucks for the New York Times. I would never pay seven bucks for a newsletter. Right. You know, right. I look at it as like I have a I spend twenty five hundred dollars a year on media. It makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah. you, you
1: know, or like, you know what you can never get from the New York Times is a voice like this one. You know, yeah. here yeah, exactly like seven bucks like there. That's never going to happen through that like old school channel. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. As modern, it, as the New York Times has become. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I think it's you know, I, I think that it's nice that we're sort of living through this evolution of media too, and I think that with the pandemic, a lot of the things that are happening now, it's going to be we're going to look at we're going to have a lot more good voices. We're going to have a lot of renewed perspectives on what all these properties are. And I think this is going to end up being a, you know, a positive going forward. So, well, at least I hope.
1: Yeah, no, I think, I think, um, I mean, I'm fully aware of the like Kumbaya corniness of this, but this is the exciting thing about the like human spirit and frankly, the American, like the American way, which is to, um, Adapt and adjust. And right now it's like, um, also fight <laughs> a lot of fighting happening or just, or just vote, you know?
0: Yeah. Uh, but- it doesn't, it's not all that complicated, really, you know, with brands or with politics. It's, you don't have to read everything every day. You just have to vote, yeah. you
1: know? Yeah. But I do think that there's like so much, there is so much good stuff happening right now exciting stuff voices and people who are taking the like stoppage and this um the historical weirdness and they are like learning from it and applying those learnings you know Mm -hmm. and those are the people that i'm excited about and interested in and frankly you know just trying to be one and trying to Mm -hmm. to lead gq accordingly well you're doing a good job with it so thanks for thanks for taking the time to talk to me Oh man. Will? Thank you, Michael. You're what you're doing is always inspiring and really savor all the times we've gotten to like do stuff together where it's something like this or your column and so on. And, um, yeah, I always feel really challenged by what you're up to. So thanks. I,
0: you know, I, I was, um, I was thinking about this last night, just our chat and we're friendly and we have a nice rapport and I worked with you and, you know, even with all of that, I get nervous to talk to you. Um, just because you know, I no, not I, I do. I, I think you know, it's hard to self doubt, it's hard to not let self doubt come into situations. And you know, this was just more than this being a conversation for people to listen to. This was makes me feel good about you know, the universe and what's happening. And it's nice to just have this like candor and, and really positive conversation. And, you know, I had a lot of fun just talking to you today. So totally. I mean, I have always felt like,
1: um, I guess, um, you know, on, on the eve of any conversations we've had, whether it was into a microphone or going to have breakfast, I always feel excited because I'm like, Michael is going to have like a new frame, a new, like the worlds that, that you and I inhabit overlap quite a bit, but they're not the same. Like our Venn diagram is a Venn diagram, not a circle. Mm-hmm. And I have always found that like, I'll, I'll, we'll sit down for breakfast and I will like walk back to the office from there with like a new idea of like how to push GQ forward, like every time, every time. And that includes today. So thanks.
0: Well, Yeah, man. It's, uh, it's, you know, the, the feeling is mutual. And I think that, you know, I'm, I'm inspired by what you're doing and I see what you guys are doing at GQ and it's impressive and, and I'm all in on it. So, you know, I guess you just need to
1: get your fits off at the town dump, you know, your last couple of weeks up there. (laughs) I have to say the dump fit is, they've been pretty monumental. I mean, not on Instagram, but they, they exist in the
0: world. The fact that you're not running the town dump Instagram, I feel like is a miss. Give me a few months. Hold on. We'll see if this thing drags out. Maybe you'll be back, you know, after a stick season.
1: I'm leaving GQ. I'm excited to announce that I've taken a new gig running the Town Dump Instagram. Thank you. (laughs)
0: Uh, Will, it was great
1: talking to you, buddy. Thanks, Michael. I'll see you soon.